The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. a couple housekeeping things. So you're wondering, we are actually going to be eating in our building over here today. So you've probably seen a lot of food and things. Uh, That's for after the sermon and Lord's Supper. So don't get up and go try and grab the pies. There's a lot of good ones. Uh, So thank you for those who brought things in. And uh, afterwards, we'll have a time to uh, say thank you to Gilbert and Amber. Uh, Amber reminded me it's her birthday today. So Amber is uh, the ripe age of, I won't say what, I'm not supposed to do that from the pulpit. So uh, if you're sad that Gilbert and Amber have been called away, you can celebrate Amber's birthday today, all right? That's the equal call, so you let it be what it is. Uh, But guys, in all seriousness, uh, we will miss you. You have served well, and we look forward to hearing what God has for you in the coming years. And we might cry a few tears along the way, but it is what it is. God knows as it is. Okay. Well, guys, you're here. You're under the preaching of God's Word this morning. I can think of no better place to be uh, on any given day than to hear the Word of God. Church, can I just say uh, uh, something for us for a moment? Uh, we know with any transition, there's always questions and uneasiness and things. Guys, God is still in control. Jesus is still our Lord and Savior. There's still a message to proclaim. There's people to grow in the Lord. There's a, there's a place we're going so while we, we lose someone physically, we actually gain because we get the great responsibility of seeing how God will bless this family. So know that, that yes, things will be a little, well, who are we going to hire? Who's going to be on the committee? Great questions. Let's celebrate what God has. Let's celebrate there. But may we do so in a way that's honoring to Christ. Amen. As we do. I just want to say that pastoral word. But uh, I've already asked Carlos Asensio to lead us next week, and he said he's not going to lead singing. So Carlos is already out of the running. I'm sorry. So uh, <laughs> Carlos, they're laughing anyway, so we can, we can do it together. Ugh, we tried to get him. All right. You're in Mark chapter 9, as you are. Well, there is the story of the old vacuum, and vacuum salesmen, which I don't think are around today. They might arrest you for knocking on doors. But uh, this man was in rural Tennessee, and he had a vacuum not much unlike this one. And he had all his tools and everything, and he went to the door and told the lady, I have the most exciting vacuum you have ever seen or will ever buy. It will clean your house from top to bottom. You only have to pay such and such money down. Well, he said, man, that sounds really good. I got to get this thing. And he said, the salesman said, well, you see that big pile of dirt right there on the floor with all those fur balls and bugs and things? Well, my vacuum can pick that up, and and just like that, and and it will eat it all, and you'll never see it again. And she said, well, you might as well get your knife and fork to eat that up, because we don't have any electricity here around these parts, guy. So there it is. (laughs) So don't be a vacuum salesman in rural Tennessee is the moral of the story. But thank God for electricity, amen. We want to have power in different places, and sometimes we don't realize there's not power in places where there's not power. But power is one of the things that nations and politicians and businesses covet, isn't it? I mean, can you believe it's been two years since the, the, the political season? We're already ramping up again. I'm so glad we don't have a TV because I don't have to see all those ads all the time because people are jockeying for position here or there. But the power as Christians we need is not an electrical power. It is a power from on high. How do you change your family? How do you change this neighborhood? How do you do those things? You do it 
through only God Himself. But our world is in such darkness, it gets darker and darker and darker and darker. Doesn't it seem that way? But when history reaches its darkest moment, then suddenly the glory of God will come on the scene and Jesus will come from the clouds. Actually, on that day, everyone who does not know Jesus will mourn such a day. Matthew 25 tells us that this power, they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with great power and with great glory. What an awesome day that's going to be. Pastor, when's that going to happen? When are you going to preach on Revelation? Don't know, and I really don't know. So there it is, right? (laughs) But when Christ returns, there will be a splendor that will light up this planet and how different it will be. No longer powered by lights or powered by TVs or, or these great cell phones, but power that came from Jesus alone and how different it will be. When Jesus came the first time, he came as a lowly servant, a humble carpenter, But when he comes again, he will appear as the reigning sovereign king over all kings and all lords. In the first time he came, there was no room in the end. But when he comes again, he will inherit the earth, Jesus will. The first time he came, Jesus rode a lowly donkey. I think they call those geometros today if those are still around. But when he comes again, there will be a door open in the heavens, and he will come back on a white stallion to judge everyone and wage war. And he is the victor because he is risen indeed. He stood before Pilate, but when he comes again, Pilate will stand before him. His blood has been poured out, but when he comes again, his robe will be dipped in the blood of his enemies. And while his disciples ran away the first time, when Jesus comes again, he will be surrounded by the armies of heaven, going with their great commander, Jesus Christ. What a great show of power that will be. So as Christians, we know these things. We are on the winning side. It's already been decided. The victory has been won. But why is it that we get so discouraged when we look around like that vacuum in salesman and try and find the power source for our lives, but we find nothing at all? I mean, why do we need stories like today to encourage us if we already know the truth? Well, I'm going to propose to you that the main difficulty we have for not seeing the power of God that we've just heard about in our lives is because we fail to gaze at the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. As we focus on Jesus, the more things come in perspective. The less we focus on Jesus, the less things are put in their proper perspective. In the future, we are going to play a part in the grace kingdom that is Jesus Christ by his victory. And this morning, I want you to know that as our church faces a time of change, as our culture faces times of change, The only way we get through that is to remember where the power source comes from, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That is it. Four facets this morning of future glory with Christ. What will that day look like? We're going to see a glimpse of that today as Jesus transfigures himself in Mark 9. Four things today. We're going to see the promise of his glory, the presence of his glory, the prophets of glory, and the purpose for this glory. Do you remember if you've been with us the last couple weeks, last two out of three weeks, we have been reading the last part of chapter 8 where Jesus told the disciples that things were getting ready to change. Change was a coming, and change was coming very quickly, so much so they weren't ready for the change. He told them how he would have to die, how he would have to be resurrected. And and Peter said, no, 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 Jesus, that's not the way it's going down. We're we're, we're riding this ship. You, You will follow us. And they said, no. Jesus said, no, that's not the way it's going to be. And he reminded them, if you recall from last week, he told them to take up their cross. And he said some very hard things to them. 
some very necessary things to them. He reminded them that they would be uh, taking up their cross, and whoever loses his life will save it. But those who trust in him will not be ashamed at the coming. So these disciples are confused. They're at a crossroads, not much like our church is at right now in some ways. Not unlike where our church is and making some big decisions as we go forward. But I want to remind you, as Jesus reminded them, that the power comes from on high. And often in those times, we need to be reminded about who Christ is in order to put things in their proper perspective. If you'll join me this morning in standing for the reading of God's Word. Mark chapter 9, be in verses 1 through 8 this morning. And I just want to say, no matter what hard time you're facing, no matter what adversity, there is hope in this Christ. I pray you remember that this morning. Let's start in verse 1 of Mark chapter 9. Hear God's word this morning. And Jesus said to them, this is the same conversation uh, that we looked at last week. He said to them, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was trans." Figured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth had ever been able to bleach them or could bleach them. And there appeared to them with them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that you are we are here. Let's make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud came over them and said, a voice came out and said, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly, verse 8, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus alone, or Jesus only. Church, I submit to you that in the midst of lots of decisions to make, some small, some big at our church, we need to do two things. We need to listen to Jesus alone, and we need to see him as he is alone. If we do that, we will be right on par with everything God wants us to be, amen, as we do. Let's bow as we pray this morning. Father, we come before you very anxious, Lord, about who you are, because, Father, we see things in Scripture, but we only see baby talk, as the theologians say. We hear things and do things. We're anxious, Lord, because we often look out and we look at this dark world and where is the coming of Jesus? We know in our hearts it is true, but, Lord, it's often so easy to be discouraged. Father, may, as the disciples were here, may we be encouraged to know you are fully in control, you are fully God, there's nothing that slips by your grasp, and you have all power. Father, help us to listen well, help us to see only you alone. Father, we love you and praise you. Give us wisdom now in Jesus' name, and we ask this, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, I want you to see four facets of the future glory with Christ, and I want you to see first off the promise of His glory, the, the promise of His glory. And, and you notice there at, at the verse 1, and, and I mentioned this is a continuation of last week. Often we get in our Bibles and we see the, this heading here and this heading there, and we think, man, that's got to be at least five or six days. But Verse 1, chapter 9, the promise of glory is actually the same conversation that Jesus had last week about taking up your cross. And he said to them, truly I say to you, don't miss that. Lots of people can say, I'm telling you the truth. And you know that great line, you can't handle the truth, you know, from, from movies gone by. But 
This is Jesus. This is God. He is speaking truth. This is truth. Truly, I say to you, some standing here, he's talking about the 12, some standing here, but not just any of the 12, but the three major players. You know their names, Peter, James, and John. By divine choice, they would stand with Jesus in the miracle that is forthcoming. But then you get in that little phrase about, he promises them some glory coming up, but he says something strange. If we don't look at the context, we'll miss. He says not, they will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now, if you're just reading that, you could get some really weird interpretations going on. I mean, th- does this mean that, that Jesus, that the disciples are still around today? I mean, does this mean that Jesus is like, you know, there's like Peter's like hiding out in a cave somewhere. We just got to go wake him up and he can tell us all about the things of Jesus. Believe it or not, there are actually some commentators who follow up on that, that, that line of thinking. But, well, maybe it's referring to Acts 2, Pastor, the Pentecost and the spread of Christianity. Is that what he's referring to here? They won't taste death? Or maybe Jerusalem, the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Or, or maybe it's the second coming of Christ. But again, they would be super old. I mean, they'd be like 2,300 years old or something like that. Some of you all say, man, I feel old. Well, Peter would be old too if that were true. But what is he talking about here? This promise of glory, what is he saying? Jesus is telling these disciples, especially Peter, James, and John, that the coming glory is what they will see in the transfiguration. It's a definite connection. What they are going to see, what they did see and what we heard is a picture of what is coming. These disciples have just been through the ringer. I love this about our God. There are times when we need a word from the Lord, not a new word, not some TV guy or someone who says that Jesus told me this and it contradicts the Bible, but a true word from God that comes out in our moment of need. These disciples had been told hard words. They were discouraged. Their, their plans weren't working out, and God knows that, and He sends them the word at just the right time. Now, you've been there too, haven't you? You've been through things in your life where you've been reading through the Scripture, and, and, and you've been in Leviticus, <laughs> praise the Lord, and you've been reading through, and, and Leviticus stands out to you. You think, oh my how did I miss this before? And it, it applies not only in the context, but to your life, and, and it just comes alive. And you go around, and you're texting people Leviticus, and you're like, wow, I didn't know Leviticus meant so much. And you just, you know how this goes. The disciples needed that word because they were getting discouraged. But what they saw, would see, is what we will see at the coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus gives them this to encourage their hearts so that they don't fret or worry about what comes down the line. Friends, when he must suffer, they must deny themselves. They must take up their crosses. They can't just be bystanders. They need to see the positive side of the coin. You know, sometimes when God brings you through a tough situation, you need to be reminded of that. That's why we will always, as long as this pulpit stands here, and, and, and well, even if it's not here, we just stand up here, the gospel will be preached in this pulpit as long as we can. Because you need to be reminded that, yes, you are a sinner, but praise God, He saved you despite you. That's what you need. And the same is true for us. You can toil for the Lord, and you can work for the Lord, but it's not in vain. When you take up your cross, there is blessing. When you follow Jesus, there is a blessing, church. When you see and do what He wants you to see and do, that is exactly what God will bless you with. But you need to look beyond the tough times that we experience and be pulled back to the faithfulness that is your Savior. 
Look, Jesus took our guilt and our shame to the cross so we would live with our heads up in worship, freedom, and faith, and hope as we wait for his coming. I have no idea what's going to happen to American politics in the next two minutes, let alone 20 years. Amen? I have no idea what's going to happen to this culture within 15 or 20 years. I have no idea about your neighborhood or these things. But one thing I know is sure. Jesus tells us he is coming back and that we can trust him. And that when our church goes through times where we are growing, where we have to address issues, where we look at things and we think, how in the world is this all going to work out? We know it's going to work out because Jesus is in control. And if our church trusts Jesus, then it will be okay. Do you see that? These disciples had heard words that were tough, but Jesus tells them these words to remind them. Church, be encouraged. You win the victory. So whether we have pink carpet, green carpet, or polka dot carpet, Jesus is Lord. Amen. Whether we choose the leader that you don't want or the leader you do want, Jesus is Lord. We have to come to these things with grace and purpose, reminding ourselves that there are decisions that we will make, both from the church side and the pastoral side, that you may not agree with, I may not agree with, but if we agree on Jesus, then we're doing better than most people and most churches. You see that church. And anything less than that is not acceptable. Because what Jesus is calling us to is a promise of future glory. And that future glory has to start here. Look, if you don't like hanging out with the people here, you're probably not going to like hanging out in heaven either. You better get used to one another now. Because no matter what comes down the pike, our God reminds us that he is in control. And we will not taste death until, they will not taste death until the kingdom of God has come into power. They will die, but Jesus is going to bring them along. That's the first facet of future glory is the promise. Once you see the presence of the glory, look back at verse 2 and, and open your Bibles, your iPads, your iPhones. God forbid your Android devices, but it is what it is. <laughs> verse 2, and after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. Now, I, I just want to take a side note here. Other passages, Matthew 17 and, and Luke, say that it was eight days. Some of the liberal commentators like to jump on this. Well, they didn't have their chron chronology right, but Mark says that it was six days between what he said and, and the fulfillment equaling eight days. So it, it's weird. It's a whole rabbit chase, but I want you to know the days are the days, and they're correct, just so you know that. But he calls along Peter, James, and John. We did this study last year about the 12 disciples. These were the inner circle. These were the ones that God chose to pour himself into and to go out from. And some had closer access and some didn't. But the Lord chose these three in his sovereign decree to bring along. And he brought them up. You, I don't know what your Bible says there in verse 2. But here as we see it, he brought them up. It's probably a high mountain. It's very, very high. I don't know about you. I hate heights. I hate climbing, especially without a rope or something to be tied to. But Jesus takes them up. Which mountain was it? Doesn't say. Could be any number of mountains. All it says is that they went up. Luke adds in the same account in his gospel that he went up there to pray. And then you see that curious word. Uh, he was transfigured before them. Um, I saw one photo. If you go to Google Photos, that's, a real, that's just a weird place to be sometimes. 
you type in transfiguration, and one of them had those old masks from drama, like the sad face and the happy face, like the old uh, Greek thing. That's not what it was. What it is, is that Jesus himself has changed to some degree. What change is that? Well, let me be very clear here. It's the word metamorphosis. It's a radical change. It's, you know, uh, it's like when a cocoon changes into a butterfly, but it's still the same thing. You may recall, if you've been here with us, three years ago, we went through Philippians 2. It says, he took upon the body of a bondservant and clothed himself in that of a mere slave, Jesus did. And so beneath the rags of lowly humanity remained fully God, did Jesus. He was fully God. He did not change his essence. He did not drop out his, his deity. But for a time, Jesus is going to manifest his, his deity to show forth. And for a moment, he appears on the outside as he is on the inside. Church, if anyone ever tells you Jesus is not God, you stop listening, you stop giving, you stop going, and you walk away from that preacher or ministry. Do you hear me clearly on that? If Jesus is not fully God and fully man, we have no reason to be here today. But he is. And you notice what happens. His garments were emitting light, so white that not even... The, uh, a, a bleacher, if that's the right word, a launderer, a, 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 purple, a, a clothes maker to get the word out right could match it. We probably think this was, according to the other accounts in Matthew and Luke, we think this was that in the middle of the night. Can you imagine what that's like? You, you know what it's like when someone turns on the light when you're waking up and you're like, whoa, or coming out of the movie theaters and wow, that sun is bright. This was probably done at night. So Jesus transfigures himself, and he does so that Matthew says his face shone like the sun. Here is the regal splendor of Jesus. His clothes are shining like the noonday sun, probably in the middle of the night. He's not on fire. It's not an illusion. It's not special effects. It's not even CGI. It is Jesus in all his glory. John 1 reminds us that we behold his glory full of grace and truth. Peter, in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1 says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And John, writing about this as well, in Revelation 1, says the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like the flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. Church, behold your God. Now, if I'm up on the mountain... And I'm seeing that. I'm thinking, what did I eat for dinner that caused this to happen in my brain? Because that is exactly the human response. But they saw him not as he was, but they saw him as sovereign king. Christian, be reminded today that on the throne of the universe sets one who is perfectly holy in every way. And it's always a dangerous thing to act as though you were in charge. As pastor, I can go no further in my authority than what this book tells me. As a Christian, you can go no further, in a sense, than what this book tells you to do. Friends, as a church, we can go no further, should go no further, in, in most ways, than what the principles and the Scripture teaches us to do. Why? Because this is God's glory at stake. This is God's presence at stake. There are churches, there are Christians who say, God wouldn't mind if I take this page out of here, whoop, rip, 
and let it rip. Literally, let it rip. Friends, this episode reminds us that the presence of God's glory should change us radically. Have you been changed by the presence of God's glory in your life? Has there been a time, if you're not a Christian here today, where you have looked and, and, and you have seen something different in a Christian? You say, what's so different about it? Non-Christian, the, the, the difference is, is that they have beheld the glory of God. That in their sin, they were so far off, but in His love, God gave them the richest mercy ever, which is called salvation. Church, that's why. Gilbert, I'm going to miss your smile, buddy. Love it to pieces because I was th- I, I, it's, th- I'm doing really bad interpretation here. But during, as I was studying this, I thought about your smile because it always just lights up the room. It always does. And I thought, man, if I could just have a taste of that. Christian, how much joy should we have in this life? Stop being Debbie Downers. Christians, you have the presence of the king. You have the kingdom. The brightest future days for Tower View are ahead, because, not because I'm in charge, not because our deacons are cool, not because we have the right leaders in place or will have, because Jesus is Lord and he outshines anything we could ever do, outthink anything we could ever plan, and outact anything we could ever put together. That is our God. And how they needed to see this. They needed to see this. And Christian, if you are here today and you are struggling in your faith, you're struggling with where you see yourself, where is this church going, what are we doing? Friends, I pray we're doing nothing more than leading people into the glory of Jesus Christ. If we do that as a church, we are doing well. I pray. How they needed to see this and how we need to see this. Let's see what happens from here. So the promise of glory, the presence of glory, these are things that will happen in the future, but they saw. And thirdly, the prophets of glory. Look back at verse 6. Excuse me, verse 4 as we go down to verse 6. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Let me just pause right there. What a weird scene that would have been. You're, You're probably blinded by this light, and all of a sudden the two greatest figures the representative of the prophets here, and, and then the, the, the representative of the law, Moses, over here, just chatting with Jesus. Who is this guy? Who does he think he is? And it goes on to say, and they were talking with Moses and Elijah, and they were talking with Jesus, verse 5, and Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we're here. Let us make three more tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know... <laughs> You can underline this for all the people who talk out of turn all the time, for he did not know what to say. This is Peter, guys. This is Peter. And they were terrified. I want you to notice there that he appeared with Elijah and Moses. I mean, why not David? Why not Isaiah? Why not Adam? And why not Enoch? I mean, why not? Why these two? Well, as I mentioned a minute ago, Elijah is the, is the, the, the head of the prophets, if you will. He's the head of the prophets, and Moses is the lawgiver. So what Jesus is in essence doing here, as many of you well know, is both men foretold of Jesus' mission, and when Jesus brings them in, however that works, were they ghosts, were they spirits, were they illusion? They were really there, that's what we know, if you believe the scriptures, and they were talking about Jesus. What were they talking about? We really have absolutely no idea. But I can imagine that Jesus might, this is all speculation, but it might have been something about what he was going to quote to the disciples after he resurrected. Luke 24, 44, and you'll see it on the screen. Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. 
it is in a sense like Jesus is telling them, well done, good and faithful servants, Elijah and Moses. Your time of ministry has now been fulfilled in me. And one of the most interesting things here is, is, is their, their bodily presences in heaven. I mean, Elijah didn't die. You know that story, right? He was taken up in a chariot of fire. And the death of Moses is kind of curious. We really don't know what happened. It just, we know he died. But it says in Deuteronomy 34 that the Lord buried him and gave a grave. But we don't know what happened. In fact, in Jude 1.9, we see a, the verse says that Michael and Satan were arguing over the, the, the body of Moses. So we really don't know. But what Elijah and Moses are talking about is not recorded. And let me tell you, from a historical standpoint, that's good for us. Because guess what? The fact, you might expect a fabricated scene with fabricated words or fabricated something, but the fact that we don't know what it is, but it actually happened, proves its historicity. And then Peter says, it's good for me to be there. I mean, wouldn't you say that? Peter's the first Baptist, right? He's like, great, something's happening over here. Let's plant a church. Let's do this. It's good for us to be here. Church, it's good for you to be here as often as God will allow you to with health, life, and circumstance. Because you know what this service reminds you of, or it should? It reminds you that it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's about Him. And if it's about Him, and it's not about you, and it's not about me, it's not about us, then praise God, that's what we want. You have needs. I have needs. Your church has needs. But it's about Christ. And Peter doesn't stick his foot in his mouth. What he says is true. And Christ... He says, let's make three tents for them. I mean, Peter's ready to build the building now. Let's do it, guys. Start the building fund. Let's go. And Peter, as he won't, wants to do, he cannot do anything. He, he wants to build these things. He, he wants to make himself useful. He's thinking theologically because, the, the, you know, the Jews would have the, 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 the tabernacle feast and, and the, tent of, uh, the, the booth and the tent parties and all those things. But he doesn't get what's happening. In fact... I will call your attention to this fact that it is Mark who's writing out the testimony of Peter. Mark is writing down the testimony of Peter in this whole gospel. And when Peter thinks back on this episode, he said, man, I really didn't have that much to say. I was just kind of talking. <laughs> you ever been there before? God, I don't know what you're up to, so I'm just going to pray a lot, and you just tell me when to stop. And that's kind of where he's at. He's so mind-blown, but they were terrified. Friends, I want to remind us this morning that God comes to us when we are feeling spent, when we are feeling weak, when we are feeling weary, and instead of saying to us, do, work, and try, He just tells us, behold your God. Church, when was the last time that we as a church or us as individuals just stood before and just said, Lord, you're in control? I have needs. I have a laundry list of needs. There's a prayer list. There's my needs, Lord. There's all these things. When's the last time in the quietness of your, your life, wherever that is, your car on a lunch break, your, your, that, that extra room that your wife took the man cave and made it a sewing room, or whatever, you're out on a run, you've just stopped and said, wow, behold my God, King of kings, Lord of lords, the first, the last, the alpha, the omega. Church, if we stay right there, that's an awesome place to be because sometimes in your life, you don't need to hear from your friend. You don't need to hear from uh, the preacher. Actually, our goal as pastor is to take you to the feet of Jesus. We're not priests. We're not, with respect, we're not Catholic. We don't believe that you need me to take you to him. You get to go to him right away, amen? There's one media between God and man, and that is the, the man Christ Jesus, the Lord. 
And there are times where you are so spent, so weak, so weary that you just need to go at the feet of Jesus and say, wow, remind me who you are because I forgot who I am and let alone who you are. As a church, we need to be reminded of that. There is no program, there is no personality, there is no popularity that this church could have that could ever storm the gates of hell. Church, do you know how we storm the gates of hell? It is by telling the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever you are, wherever you go, whatever you do. Look, I'm not against programs, I'm not against people, I'm not even against popularity, although that can be a bad thing at times. But what we need to remember, our power is from above, it is not in us. Husband, you want to change your wife, good luck. It's not you who changes anyway, it's Christ. Wife, you're praying for your husband, take it to Christ. You need to have less words and more beholding of who God is. As we do, God will change it. I want you to see the last thing. We've seen the promise of glory, the presence of glory, the prophets of glory. But what's this all about? It really, why did they do this? Verses 7 and 8. Grab your Bibles as we close out here in the next few minutes. Verses 7 and 8. And it says, And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus. A cloud overshadowed them. I, wanna, I just want you to know that this, this cloud is not just some artist's description of things. This literally happened, but it's the greatest example of God's glory. Matthew 17, 5 says it was a bright cloud. They were under an eternal weight of glory. This is, if you want to use the Old Testament term, and we should, the Shekinah glory of God that's in the Old Testament. Through the wilderness, what led them? It was the cloud. By Moses at the Red Sea, it was the cloud. It was God's presence. Moses, when he prayed to see God's glory, the, the cloud filled the tabernacle, and all the people fell down and worshiped. When Solomon built the temple, what happened? The presence of God's glory came and filled the temple. The star that the Magi followed, it wasn't just some astronomical, you know, guessing game. It was the glory of God that they followed in only a way God could have shown them. And you hear there that a voice came out from the cloud. Hold your spot there. I want to take you back to chapter 1 of Mark. Will you turn there with me quickly? Mark chapter 1 and verse 11. Go back to Mark chapter 1 and verse 11. This has been over a year and a half since we've been here, but I want to remind you of how all this connects. In those days, verse 9, Mark 1, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. You can go back to Mark 8, but what I want you to see here is that they have heard this before. This is not new. You need to be reminded, Christian, of everything the Bible teaches time and time again. And Moses and Elijah disappear, and all they have left is Jesus, the beloved Son. The beloved Son. And friends, Jesus is better than all of them. Jesus is better than your pastor. Jesus is better than your Sunday school teacher. Jesus is better than your favorite barista at Starbucks. Jesus is better than all because only he is able to be called the beloved son. 
The Trinity is at work here. You know, one God, three persons, the Father, the Spirit, are pointing to Christ saying, listen to Him. Listen to Him. Listen to Him. The purpose of this glory is that they would be reminded that it's not about them. It's all about Christ. And friends, we need that reset button too. You do not trust in a Christ that is as whimsical as the Royals are at winning baseball games. We might win the game today, but yeah, we're probably going to lose 120 games anyway. It's all good, you know, it's all good. Our Christ is as steadfast as the rock of Gibraltar. He is as steadfast as he is faithful to his promises. And what these disciples see and here is the reminder that this is the one. There is no one else. You follow him or you don't. It's his way or the highway. Hit the road, Jack, because there is no other way to heaven except through him. That's exclusive. It's dogmatic. It's bulldogmatic. It's narrow-minded. It's bigoted. How could he say that? Because he's the God who created all that would give the voice to say that. Our God is so exclusive that it tells us and it says, listen to Him. I want you to know, not to be all greeky-geeky on you, but this is in the present tense. That word listen is not just, oh, listen to Him one time. It's a continual action. It's listening and listening and listening and listening and listening. Not just on the mountaintop where things are easy, but guys, when you get back down there, disciples, into the world, and you carry your cross, and you live for me, listen to me. Listen to me. You know, David got off track, did he not, when he refused to listen to God? In David's early life, you'd see him pray before every decision, but as he grew in power and complacency, what happened to those prayers? See ya. Church, in this time that we have, as we celebrate Gilbert and Amber and family moving on, as we pray about future needs and staff and policies and all the great things that we have coming, may we spend more time on our knees than we do talking about anything else in this church about what is there. If we have talked more about what we want to see in this church than we have prayed to God about what He wants in this church, then may I submit to you that we are on the wrong side of what that needs to be. We need to listen and do well. So what do we do with this? Where do we go with this? Matthew tells us that they fell down before the Lord, and, and, and this is very, very important because Jesus now, you see there in verse 9, and suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone but Jesus. I don't know about you, that would just freak me out. Amen? I don't, someone asked me the other day, Pastor, do you believe in ghosts? I, well, here's the thing. There are demons, they masquerade as certain things, but, but those ghost hunter shows are as, as, as fake as, as, well, they're as fake as fake can be, all right? I can go in a room and make it feel cold. It's called turn down the air conditioner to 60, and it gets really cold really fast. Not always the presence of a spirit. My point is this. As you look at your Christian life, as you see the, the lay of the land that God has given you, what do you see? In your life, do you see only Jesus? Or do you see the things that Jesus gives? Friends, I'll submit to you that He is the great high priest. He surpasses all priests. He is the good shepherd, surpassing all shepherds. He's the great judge, surpassing all kings and judges. He's Lord of lords, surpassing all earthly masters. 
This Jesus is the bridegroom surpassing all husbands. He's the rabbi Christ surpassing all preachers. He is better. And as you come, and if you're not a Christian here today, I want you to see this, that you are not saved by being good. You are not saved by doing churchy things, by, by praying 75,000 Hail Marys and 50,000 Buddhist monk prayers. You are saved, if you're saved here today, by Jesus alone. That when everything around you looks crazy, he is the one that is steadfast in your life. How do you know you're a Christian here today? You know you're a Christian because even when you royally mess up, Jesus is the first one you go to. Why? Because as these disciples saw, he's the only one with the power to save you, to sustain you, sanctify you, and make you more like him. God saves us from himself, through himself, to himself, by himself, for himself. I want to end on this. My time is short. Friend, did your political commentary drive more of your decisions in this life than does your Lord Jesus Christ? Does church growth strategies, does, does, does your friends, do, do your friends, do other people drive more of your decisions than anything else in this life? Or does your going to Jesus, is my going to Jesus drive every decision that we make? Friend, let me remind you that we have an exclusive gospel it is no longer that we have the power, but Christ does. What an amazing thing. Church, our best days are ahead. And that's not just pastor talk. Our best days are ahead as long as we keep this in focus. Do you want to see grace more changed for the glory of Christ across the way? Clay Como, if you like that guy at the airport doing this thing. Maple Park, Clay Como, Randolph. It starts by beholding the glory of God. Guys, we have it. We have the message. We have the power. That's what Gilbert and Amber are taking with them. What a joy it is to be on this side of things. Amen? You are saved in Christ. Take that with you. Next week, we're going to look at one verse, chapter 9, verse 9, the resurrection, because they had to go out in some power, but it came out in the power of the resurrection. Let's close as we do this morning. Father, thank you for this time we have. Time is short. Lord's Supper coming, all those things. But, Father, as we pause to prepare to pray, we just know. Father, we pray for a church. We pray that as change happens in a staff position, there's always uneasiness. But, Father, I pray that our uneasiness turns to our knees to pray. Pray for wisdom for those who are doing things and making decisions and all those things. Praying for Gilbert and Amber as they go. What a... What a uh, what a joyous thing that is, but a scary thing, even though it's, it's in your hands. Father, we just thank you. We give it to you. We pray for our neighborhoods. pray for our families. We pray for all those people in our lives that don't know Jesus, Lord. We just trust them to you. Where else could we put them? Father, we pray for just so many things. Lord, it's been a, it's been a tough couple weeks with illness in our church and just things. Father, but thank you that you're in charge. Thank you that you're there. You are with us every step of the way. Lord, we love you for that. We know because of that, we have all joy. Father, we pray these things today in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. I'm going to ask the deacons, guys, you want to go ahead and come up to prepare. And uh, everyone else, why don't you stand as we sing our last song. Whatever it is, as it comes. Do you join us as we stand, the great I am, as we prepare for the Lord's Supper in just a few minutes.
See? 